Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Oftentimes the bitterness we carry in our heart is far more severe than anything we express with our life and behavior. So you got someone you've got tension with, there's a strained relationship in your life, don't start with a long series of confessions. You do that with God. You tell God specifically how sorry you are for all those things that you need to itemize before our God, that's great. But you probably don't need that with the person you're trying to reconcile with. Is there a strained relationship in your life? We deal with so many stresses and frustrations every day that experiencing conflict is pretty normal. And today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is continuing our study in 2 Samuel chapter 14 about a strained relationship between a father and son, David and Absalom. As Christians, we have a responsibility to live peacefully and harmoniously with our siblings in Christ. But how do we move past our frustration and hurt? Well, Pastor Mike picks up our message at verse 2. Now, I don't think Joab's motives were entirely pure. He had a political kingdom to take care of, and I'm sure he had mixed motives for doing what he was about to do. But he said, we got to do something to get these two back together. So he goes in verse number 2 to send someone to Tekoa and had a wise woman, the drama teacher at the local high school, brought up from Tekoa. And he says, would you pretend to be in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and off he goes and giving her how she ought to look and what she ought to say. And he is going to put on this ruse. He's going to put on this drama, this little show for the king and try and present a case to the king that he would rule on that would ultimately parallel that story with his own life. And so he does. And there are three basic elements to the story. Let me just summarize it for you. She presents a story as a widow in which her children are involved in homicide. One child kills the other. But the homicide has mitigating factors. There are extenuating circumstances. This was not just a, a robber killing a, another person out of malice. This was two brothers. And the intention and the assumption is the intention wasn't there to murder. It just got out of hand and no one was there to break up this scuffle. And someone got hit in the right place with the right thing and they died. So it's a homicide with some mitigating factors. And then the next thing is she presents to the king that if justice is carried out to the letter of the law, the ramifications of that would be huge. In other words, if my son is convicted as a murderer and he is given justice, which is execution, it will snuff out my entire line. My family will no longer have an heir. My relatives, distant relatives, will come in and split my entire inheritance and I'll be left with nothing. So there's a homicide with mitigating circumstances. There is, if justice is carried out, huge and grave ramifications if someone follows the letter of the law. And then thirdly, the third element of her story is, King, would you please show some compassion? Could you invoke some mercy and some compassion and some grace? And could you protect my son? Could you relieve this penalty and give him some lenience? And it works. Look in the bottom of verse 11. David's response, as surely as Yahweh lives, he says, as surely as God lives, not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground. Total protection. Got the king's word on it. 
and she does it. Joab, through this woman, puts on such a story with the same paralleling factors that makes David really guilty of the same charge. And that's what she says. Two verses later, verse 13. Woman said, why then, if that's the way you feel, if a murder with mitigating circumstances and the penalty being too grave and too far reaching, and you show mercy and compassion in that case, why wouldn't you do that in your own case? She says, why then have you devised such a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Now, what's the case? Absalom, your son, killed Amnon, your other son. But why did he do it? It wasn't just a, a murder. It was a homicide with some mitigating factors. Is not in Israel the penalty for rape murder? Execution, rather? Shouldn't the, the rapist be executed? Well, that is the law of God. But no one in the kingdom did that. So when Absalom killed Amnon, this wasn't just your normal murder. And by the way, by leaving him banished and out of the kingdom, don't we leave ourselves as a nation open to all kinds of insurrection and rebellion? Isn't it true that if the heir apparent, the eldest son of the ruling monarchy, lives outside the nation of Israel and we don't bring him back, if you leave him in that state and you're really firm on his punishment and keeping him out of the kingdom, won't we have problems? Oh, you've got other heirs. We can stick someone else on the throne. But Absalom is going to rise up at some point and realize he has the rightful leadership and sovereignty of the nation. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have civil war. We're going to have all kinds of a mess on our hand. So if you king, want to be firm against your son Absalom for killing Amnon, you got problems. The penalty seems too severe. And so she brings in the bottom line. Can't you show mercy and compassion in this case? Can't you show some compassion and leniency? And can't we get over this murder and put him back in Israel? And can't we just save the whole monarchy in that, in that one act of compassion? And then she brings God into this. Bottom of verse 14, she says, God isn't like that, is he? He doesn't always judge according to the letter of law in this life. Instead, look at the bottom of verse 14. Doesn't he devise ways so that a banished person, a guilty person, may not remain estranged from him? Isn't that kind of God, the God that we have? And can you imagine how that would resonate in David's heart? Is that how God acts? I guess so. You know, I've committed adultery, which in Israel was also a capital offense. I've murdered, in essence, strategized to kill the gal's husband. I am an adulterer and a murderer, and those both deserve death, and yet God has come in in grace and compassion, and he salvaged my life and even salvaged my kingdom. Oh, it's filled with all kinds of bloody consequences from my sin, but I'm still here. God has been gracious to me. And the punchline of this whole entire ruse is... Can't you act like God? Can't you do what God has done for you? Can't you respond to your son who has done wrong in your eyes the same way your heavenly father has treated you? He's done for you some incredibly compassionate, merciful things, and now you're holding your son to a whole different standard than that. Can't you be lenient? If you're taking notes, be sure and jot this down. When it comes to the problems that we have in the body of Christ... When so-and-so offends me, when that person's been insensitive to me, when they've hurt my feelings and wronged me, and they treated me badly, and that's why I'm angry. Would you realize that the high calling of God in the Bible is that you and I, number two, act like God? That's what God's calling us to do. Because God doesn't act the way that we act when we hold our grudges 
and keep distance between us and the person that wrongs us. And David had that colorfully displayed before his eyes through this incredible drama that was played out with a story that convicted him of his dealings with his own son that was so incomparable and so inconsistent with the way that God had treated him. And you know, that's a wonderful way for us to think through our relationships. Jot the reference down. You don't have to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 3, it's as clear as it can be in the Bible. The Bible says that we as Christians are to forgive each other whatever grievance we may have against one another. Forgive each other just as the Lord forgave you. Whenever we're called to forgive each other in the Bible, it's not too far from the Bible reminding us that we've been forgiven so much. And God has looked at us and said, you know, you've offended me. You've violated my holy standards. You've been a pain in the neck to me, basically. But you know what? I've taken all your sin and I've nailed it to the cross and I've taken all that alienation away and I've embraced you as my own child. Now, you've got some problems with people in your life right now? Let's talk about that. That's why Jesus came on the scene in Matthew 18 and told this very lengthy parable about a man who owed, in today's standards, about $39 million. That's a big debt. And he was called to account, and the master said, can you pay up, please? And the guy said, I can't do it. I can't. Be patient with me. I'll try to pay you back, but I don't have that kind of money. And the master said, you know what? You're forgiven. Whew. Can you imagine? You're in debt for $39 million. And your creditor says, forget about it. Let's just zero that out right now. It's okay. Imagine how you'd walk out of that meeting. I mean, just think of your bank. Home Savings calls you up this week. Says, you know that mortgage? Forget it. It's okay. Eh, don't worry about it. Wow. I feel so free. Thank you. You mean I don't have to pay any of it back? No, you don't have to pay any of it back. You are free. And out he walks and finds a man who owes him $4,000. Now, $4,000 is a lot of money. Let's not you know, quibble about that. You owe me $4,000. I tend to remember that. But if I've just been, give, been forgiven $39 million, then that looks a little different from that perspective, doesn't it? Well, what's interesting about the parable that Jesus tells is this servant, when he finds that guy that owes him $4,000, he says, pay me back. And the guy gives him the same line, reminiscent of what the man had just said to his master. He said, you know what? I can't pay it back right now. Be patient with me. I'll pay it back eventually. I'll try. And the Bible says that that one servant that had been forgiven so much said to the other servant who owed him a little bit, no, to prison you go. You go to prison until you can pay me back every last cent question for us is how many people have you put in prison? Your social prison. And you said, you've wronged me. You've hurt me. Now, you know what? Get over there. Until you prove to be a worthy friend, then I'll, I'll start being your friend again. And God is trying to say to us through that parable, hey guys, wake up. How much has Christ forgiven you? Is that how God treats us? Hey, when you guys get holy enough, then come on, we'll talk. Or does he say all your debt, all your filth, all your sin, I'll nail it to the cross. Come here. I love you. The most chilling thing about this passage is that in the parable that Jesus tells, the master finds out what that servant had done. And the text says that in this parable, the master throws the servant in prison. He has him whipped and beat and flogged, and he keeps him in the jail. And then the most chilling words in the entire passage are when Jesus steps out of the parable and says, so too will your heavenly Father treat you unless you forgive one another from the heart. 
I don't know exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound good to me. I don't want God to put me at arm's distance because I can't learn to forgive petty debts between you and me. Because God has taken an awful lot of my debt, all of it, and said, we won't worry about that. The challenge for you and me is can we act godly enough to take all the garbage that someone has given us and say, I will treat you the same way God has treated me. And that's going to be hard for David, is it not? He's got to look in the eyes of Absalom, his son, and say, you killed Amnon, my firstborn child. But I'm going to somehow try to overlook that. I'm going to forgive you from my heart. And that's hard to do. I read of a book this week where a man had his mother, his wife, and his daughter, three generations of his family, killed in one car accident when a guy who wanted to enjoy his beer decided to, in an intoxicated state, swerve across the middle barrier and kill his entire family. Of course, he was uninjured, and in the court system, he was let off free, no charges filed. And he wrote this book about his own turmoil in his heart. And as a Christian, he wrote about the issues we're talking about this morning. And in chapter 10 of the book, I love the title, he entitled chapter 10, Forgive and Remember. (laughs) We always talk about forgive and forget. He says, forgive and remember. And this little play on words is his representation of the whole idea that we can never forgive until we remember what we've been forgiven. We can never truly say, you know what, I'm going to treat you as though you didn't do that because God has treated me as though I've done nothing wrong. We need to forgive and remember. Actually, we need to remember and forgive because I don't think I can ever reach the front doorstep of forgiveness towards someone that's hurt me that badly until I really ponder the depth of forgiveness that's available and has been actualized in my life. That changes everything got a person that's bothering you, got someone that has come to mind in this sermon already and their face and their name is right there, they bug you, let's act like God. Let's forgive. And in our passage, if you look at it again, 2 Samuel chapter 14, it works. The bottom line is, verse 21, the king says to Joab, very well then, I'll do it. Go bring the young man Absalom back. Bring him out of prison. Bring him back to his own country. And that's really what it is. To be banished is to be imprisoned. And he lets him out of jail. He brings him back to Jerusalem. Great. Wow, what a godly thing that was, David. And Joab, he's thrilled. Verse 22, he's just excited. Falls to the face. Oh, thank you so much. You've really granted my request and shown such wonderful favor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Verse 23, Joab goes to Jeshur, where Absalom was, and he brings Absalom back to Jerusalem. Victory, right? Little contrastive conjunction here at the beginning of verse 24. Kind of changes this whole passage. The Bible says all of that was true, but... Oh, he forgave him, and he, he, he let him out of jail, but... He was going to be gracious and treat Absalom just like God had treated him, but but I don't have to be his friend, do I? But the king said, he must go down to his own house. He must not see my face. I don't want to see him. So Absalom went to his own house, and he did not see the face of the king. Drop down to verse 28. How long did this happen? Absalom lived two years, 24 months. That's a long time. In Jerusalem, without seeing the king's face. Now, that's hard to do. 
(laughs) You got a purpose to do that. You're living just down the block from the king. You're one of the king's sons and you haven't seen his face for two years. David says, fine, I'll forgive him, but don't expect me to have coffee with him. That sound familiar? That sound like what we do when we get through the motions of hearing a sermon like this and we say, okay, I need to forgive, 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 forgive. Fine. Forgiven, all forgiven, forgotten. Great. Forgive that jerk. Okay, fine. But I don't want to hang out with you, okay? Don't come knocking on my door. (laughs) And if you think we're going to be buddies, that ain't going to happen. But you know what? Fine, I've forgiven you. And we polish our halo, right? You think that's what God wants? Do you think that really is the description of the body of Christ that he says needs to be harmonious, unified, and full of peace? I don't think so. And David here blows it. Oh, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to take any further steps than that. In reading on this topic this week, someone insightfully made the distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. And he compared the two this way. He said the first step, forgiveness, though it's hard, is comparatively easy to the second step, which is true acceptance and reconciliation. I mean, it's one thing to say, I forgive you. It's another thing to say, come on, let's go have dinner. Let's be friends. Subtitle really captures the essence of what I think God wants us to do with strained relationships. He wants us not only to move out of frustration to some passive state, he'd like to move our frustrating relationships from all that frustration and conflict into friendship. Don't stop halfway. I put it this way in your outline number three. You and I need to do whatever it takes. What's it going to take? It's going to take more than saying, I forgive you. It's going to take us moving into a real relationship. One where the king sees the the son, where they have time together, where they talk. Now, what would that have taken in David's case? Perhaps this issue of him uh, looking at Absalom, thinking about Amnon, maybe it needed to be settled. Maybe there needed to be a court case. Maybe there needed to be some kind of trial. Maybe there needed to be a confrontation. Maybe there just needed to be an invite to the palace. Maybe a card, maybe a note, maybe an open door. Whatever it would have taken to move him from forgiveness to true reconciliation, that's what he needed to do. And you got someone in your mind. And you can leave this message today and you can go out and say, yeah, you know, I know the body of Christ needs to be unified and harmonious and I'll forgive. But you need to go to the next level. You need to say, now what can I do to really express my love, to reaffirm my commitment to that person, to be nice, to be accepting, to be inclusive. How can I reach out and express my commitment to love as Christ loved? Maybe for you it is a meeting. Maybe you do need to hammer through some issues with people. Maybe it's a gift, a present, a card, a note, an invitation, a cup of coffee. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's have a little sidebar here for just a second. I'll give you a little hint. You got that person you're frustrated with? And you think, I'm going to put this message to work. Don't begin this conversation with a long list of confessions about how much you hated that person. Okay? <laughs> that doesn't work. I've been on the receiving end of that before. And it doesn't help when they say, Pastor Mike, I just want to tell you I'm here to be your friend. And, and I'm just sorry for all that hatred I've had in my life for you. And how I've pinned your face up on my dartboard and made a doll and poked needles in it and how I've seethed every time I passed your house and just 
how much I've truly just been repulsed by your presence. <laughs> but all that's gone now. I love you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Oftentimes, the bitterness we carry in our heart is far more severe than anything we express with our life and behavior. So you got someone you've got tension with. There's a strained relationship in your life. Don't start with a long series of confessions. You do that with God. You tell God specifically how sorry you are for all those things that you need to itemize before our God. That's great. But you probably don't need that with the person you're trying to reconcile with. Oh, perhaps you have done something blatant and overt, and there's some transgression that needs to be confessed, and it needs to be out on the table. But most likely, what you need to do is just be aggressive in trying to love the person. You need to express yourself to them in a caring, loving way. You need to affirm your friendship to them, and you don't need a big confession as to how much you've blown it and how much you haven't liked them. Don't go there. But you do need to go to the next level. You need to do whatever it takes I just want to make sure you don't put this long list of confessions at the beginning of the conversation. That would be most helpful if you left that out. Instead, though, say, I know what God's high calling is. And Absalom knew it, and he knew he wasn't getting it. And so if you look at the bottom of this passage, he says in the middle of verse 32, he says, this doesn't make any sense. Why have I come from Jeshur? He says, it'd be better for me if I was still there. I mean, at least if I'm going to be shunned by this person, I mean, I, I don't give me any, any platitudes about forgiveness. Now then, he says, I want to see the king's face. If I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. He's so bold in saying, you know what? I, I am innocent in this matter. And, and if we need to have a trial, let's have one. So Joab, who heard all that from Absalom, went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom and he came in and he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king. And finally, after years and way too late, the king kissed Absalom. That's a good snapshot to put in our minds and to close this chapter with. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called Moving from Frustration to Friendship from Pastor Mike Fabares. If you'd like the study notes, or if you'd like to listen to the complete message without interruption, go to focalpointradio.org. You can also stream the program anytime by downloading the Focal Point mobile app or listen on your favorite podcasting platform. In addition to listening to Pastor Mike here on Focal Point every day, did you know you can also read his writing? This month we're featuring one of his books that will help you refocus on Jesus while enduring trials. It's titled Lifelines for Tough Times, God's Presence and Help When You Hurt. In this book, Mike challenges the idea that pain is the enemy and gives us encouraging examples from Scripture of times where God used pain for good. He also shares the difficult personal experience of his daughter Stephanie being born with spina bifida and what he has learned through his family's many challenges. We'll send you a copy of Lifelines for Tough Times as our thanks when you make a donation to Focal Point this month. Just call us at 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. We're so grateful for your support because it enables countless others to explore the depths of Scripture with us each day. On their behalf, thank you. Now, even if you can't give today, we still want to hear from you. 
And when you let us know that you're listening, we'll send you a free CD from Pastor Mike's audio series, Lifelines for Troubled Times. Ask us about the CD called God's Presence and Help When You Hurt when you call 888-320-5885 or find it online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for our weekly feature called Ask Pastor Mike. We're going to settle down in the pastor's study for a heart-to-heart chat about an intriguing topic, plastic surgery. Learn what the Bible does and doesn't say about cosmetic surgery when you join us Friday for Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.